Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Mary Anna Evans, author of the new suspense novel, The Physicist's Daughter. Mary Anna also writes the Faye Longchamp Archaeological Mystery Series. Mary Anna, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Physicist's Daughter, how would you describe the novel? Well, I pitched it as Rosie the Riveter meets Bletchley Park. So it's it's a World War II novel about a young woman working in a factory, um, but she's unusual for 1944 because her parents were physicists, and so she knows a great deal about science, and she can tell that they're not building what they're told they're building. And she can also tell that someone is trying to sabotage them. Uh, and she doesn't know who she can trust, so she has to rely on the things her parents taught her to uh, basically save World War II. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Physicist's Daughter? I do. Um, there's a museum in New Orleans called, it was the National World War II Museum. Uh, it was a wonderful museum. I recommend it. Uh, I did not go there. I, I was there by accident, sort of. I was in New Orleans with my sister, and she wanted to go. Um, I was afraid it would be sad, and it is. It is sad. Um, and, and to make things even more emotionally dramatic, they have Tom Hanks narrating the the, the movies and stuff. So it's uh, it, it prepared to be really en- engrossed uh, in the realities of World War II if you go to that museum. But as I sat there listening to Tom Hanks, I began wondering, why is this museum here? I really don't associate New Orleans with World War II. Um, And so as the tour progressed, I found out that it's there because the boats from D-Day that they landed on the beaches in Normandy. We've all seen the pictures of the boats with Mm -hmm. the ramp in the front uh, that let the soldiers go right out onto the beach. Um, there, there was, that's where they were built was New Orleans. And there was a man who had a tiny factory with 75 employees in the 1930s who saw it all coming. So even before the war, before we were in the war, he was talking to the Navy about his boats because he built fishing boats for the bayous. And so very shallow water draft, um, protected the motor very fast. You could drive them right up onto the banks of the bayous. And so he taught the Navy into building his prototype. Uh, and so when when the time came to plan the assault on Normandy for uh, D-Day, they had this man's boat, and he had 20,000 employees. He went from 75 to 20,000 in just a few years. Um, and so there were several uh, factories in New Orleans, and one of them is the site of the World War II Museum. So I learned all these things, and I was just fascinated with this story. Uh, and then I found out later that he had uh, a contract late in the war with the Navy that was top secret, and nobody knew what it was. Um, and uh, so I've talked to their historian to find out what what we know, what has survived, uh, because people took the secret to their graves, uh, even after it was declassified. And so all of those things, that setting was very evocative to me. Uh, I love New Orleans. It's not where people expect a World War II story to be told. Uh, and so that just, I walked out of the museum knowing that there was a book. Uh, and it, <laughs> took, it took me a few years to put it together, but I, I knew it that day. 
Well, I'm curious, can you take us back? What was your initial writing journey that led you to write and get your first novel published? Well, it was it was a long journey. Um, I My undergraduate and first master's degree are in engineering and physics, which also is the impetus for writing The, phys- the Physicist's Daughter. Um, but I've always enjoyed the arts. I've always enjoyed music and writing. And so even while I was in uh, engineering graduate school, I was starting to write short stories. Um, uh, but when you're doing something else, the writing goes slow. So I wrote short stories and poetry through my 20s, during which time I also started having children. And it was just always something I did for myself in scraps of time. Um, I wrote my first novel in my 30s because my last pregnancy, I knew ahead of time I was going to be on bed rest for six months. And so I wrote most of the novel then that did not get published, but got me a Manhattan agent who's been a wonderful um, fountain of advice for me for now 25 years, almost. Um, And so with her advice and all the experience I gained, I wrote another book. uh, And that was the first of my archaeological mysteries. It was published by Poison Pen Press in 2003. So there were there were many years that went into it, but since 2003, I've been uh, writing at a pretty good clip. That's great. Well, as you uh, described your your introduction to um, the World War II Museum in New Orleans, I'm curious uh, once you had that initial idea, what research did you do as you were preparing to write your new book, The Physicist's Daughter? Well, I tell I call the early stages of a project reading for a living. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I really believe the, uh, the adage that writer, writers have to read. Uh, you have to read fiction for style if you're a fiction writer, but you also need to read uh, to build a, a scaffolding of facts to support your story. Uh, I already knew a good bit about New Orleans because I'd written a couple of books set there, but I didn't know this time period. And I certainly don't know everything there is to know about the city. So I read about New Orleans. I read everything we can can find out about the secret project that was at the um, the Michaud plant um, in New Orleans. Uh, I corresponded with the historian at the World War II Museum who's working on that secret project. And then once I do this, the obvious things like that, I sort of, you know, I, I order a lot of books that, that tangentially relate to my topic. And I crawl the internet. Um, and by crawling the internet, I was able to uncover the blueprints that I believe the secret project was part of. Um, and so I sent those to the World War II Museum in case the, the woman there didn't know about them. Um, but it was fascinating to see. It was uh, blueprints and, and specifications and basically the whole project is now online when if I had seen them in 1944, the person who showed them to me would have been shot. Wow. Yeah. Do, do you have a sense of what that secret mission was? Or Well, I can't tell you because it'll spoil the book. Okay. But okay. it's part of a very, people will know when they okay. hear it. They may not understand the science behind, but it's a very, it's a tiny part that you could hold in your hand that was part of a larger project that was part of a larger project. (laughs) Oh, so, um, but the, but the people making it did not know what it was and they were, they were eventually told something about it. Um, but these blueprints were, were classified for years and years, but they're now available online. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's amazing what we can find on the Internet. It is. It is. You know, haven't come up in a world without the internet. I know. Uh, I did too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, uh, I don't, I, it, digital natives, you know, think that we, those of us who are older are not capable and that may or may not be true, uh, but we sure are grateful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I just we are. Yeah. Not being able, not being able to go to the internet and write a book. Like, I don't know that I could write the books that I write if I had to go to the library and, and it would have had to been a library loan because the things that I get from the internet, very few single libraries would have them all. Sure. Well, yeah. I'm curious, are you working on another novel now? I am tidying up the first draft of the sequel to The Physicist's Daughter. Uh, I mean, as I'm, I mean, I'm sending it to that agent I got in 1997 this afternoon for her to, to take a look. So it, this, it really is coming to the beginning of the close, you know, there's a lot that goes on after the first draft, but, um, but the book is coming together. It's called The Traitor Beside Her. I expect that it will be out about this time next year. I don't, we don't have a pub date yet. Got it. Well, I'm curious, um, what are the challenges, if any, for you of writing a mystery series with a number of books, um, such as your Faye Longchamp novels? I'm curious, with, the, with that series, do you ever think ahead in terms of a, a story arc, or do you just focus on each book as you sit down to write it? I do. I don't. I don't plan in great detail the story arc. Um, after uh, when I think I was writing the second book in the series, <clears throat> so I had a couple under my belt. My agent said, "Can you just like give me a par- couple of paragraphs on five books you might want to write in the series <laughs> in case I want to wave it under the nose of some editor or movie, you know, whatever." And I said, well, you know, it's really easy for you to say, <laughs> you know, basically asking me to do the hardest part of five books. Uh, but I did that. And I did eventually write, I don't know if I wrote all five of them, but they did some version of those ideas did mostly show up in the series. Uh, when I started the series, that was not the case. Because, you know, your first book, you're not even sure you can finish one. Sure. Well, and also, I, I'm an omnivorous reader. I'm not a mystery-only reader. I mean, I'll, I'll read the shampoo bottle in the shower. Um, and so I was naive about the mystery market in that I didn't realize that readers expect series. I knew there were series. I knew there were standalones. But I didn't quite realize the predominance of series in, and, and also the importance to your career of an ongoing series. So I, I was just focusing on finishing the first one. Um, 
And the whole time you're writing that first book, you're going, there's no way I've got 300 pages in me. I'll never finish it. (laughs) Then you get to the end. It's like, well, I'll never have another idea big enough for a book again, because early career writers worry about the ideas. Uh, And but as I finished the first book, like a chapter from the end, the idea for the next one popped up. And as I finished that second book, the idea for the third one popped up and I decided that that's part of the process, that while the front of your brain is working on the task at hand, the back of your brain is considering possibilities. Uh, And I decided to trust the process. And that has stood me in good stead since then. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Oh, several things. You know, I I teach writing. I'm a writing professor at the University of Oklahoma. So this is something that is a daily thing for me is how to how to give advice to young people getting started. Um, And so on the emotional side, I like people. I I just would like people to be less hard on themselves because that's how you get stuck is you you hate what you're doing and you you get balled up in it. And so I would Mm -hmm. advise people to just let it go to just just write the story. You can always fix it later. Um, but then from a procedural standpoint, and this kind of contradicts that other a little bit, I really urge people, if you can't write every day, which you know I understand about real life, and I can't write every day, but I, I would try to write as regularly as my life would let me because I truly believe in the conditioned response. That, you know, if your brain is used to you sitting down, opening up the computer, dialing up your word processing program, that it starts, it, it falls into the groove. And so, um, so I, I would advise people to begin a regular writing practice that fits within the confines of their lives. That's great advice. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Well, it's interesting that you asked because I went, I was on a jag last month of reading my friends' books. <laughs> so, you know, the one of the, that we've, I've talked with other writers lately about this, that there are a lot of uh, intangible benefits to this job. And one of them is the relationships you make and the, uh, the ability to, to see someone else's creative process. So I read um, a book that's coming out in September by Rilla Askew called Prize for the Fire. And coincidentally, these are all historicals. Um, And so it's a historical from, I believe, the 14 or 1500s about a woman caught up. It was during the time of Henry VIII, whenever that was. I think that's the 1500s. A woman caught up in the politics of the time. I read Donna's Casey's um, Valentina Will Die, which is set in silent movie era Hollywood. And I read... uh, Julia Bryant Thomas, whose book came out Wednesday, uh, I read her book, um, For Those Who Are Lost, which is also a World War II book based on a true story in England, but it's also a home front World War II book. And what I'm hearing is people are appreciating my book and hers because most World War II stories are naturally about the war, uh, and there aren't as many stories being told about the people left at home. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? I have a website, MarianaEvans.com. 
Uh, and from there, it'll take you to, I'm active on Twitter and Facebook and somewhat active on Instagram. Um, so from my website, you can, you can get to all my social media. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Mary Anna Evans, author of the new suspense novel, The Physicist's Daughter. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Mary Anna, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much for inviting me. Wonderful. Thanks a lot. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.